Kim Bailey, she's Brianna Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we're continuing our discussion with Libby Peace on workplace health and safety. So how do you keep up to date so that you've got your skills at the leading edge? <laughs> I actually subscribe to a number of organisations and also things like Work Cover in New South Wales. I've got a subscription to British Columbia in Canada mm -hmm. to their health and safety service. I'm also a member of the British Executive and get subscriptions from them. And that's a starting point. Mm -hmm. And then just sometimes I've got to do a bit of research for something and I'll find something interesting and do more research, do yeah. my own research yeah. because I find it interesting and fascinating yeah. and so forth. Yeah. But it's pretty hard sometimes to stay on top. Mm -hmm. And so by getting regular emails to just yeah. top me up of what's happening in different places, because as Juliana said, I have worked for a number of international companies. Is it easier now to do broader research? Oh, Is it quicker? Oh, definitely. Yeah. You literally, fingers do the walking. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and also networking with people. Yeah. Staying yeah. Uh, in contact with other health and safety professionals. Mm -hmm. I have a group of friends that do health and safety and we, also, we share information. Mm -hmm. It's actually a good sounding board also because you know, sometimes we'll have a terrible day or we've got a problem and somebody's just a phone call away mm -hmm. and you can have a bit of a whinge to them as well. Plus, you know, get the information you're looking for mm -hmm. or if they don't know it, they'll tell, yeah, tell, give context. you somebody else yeah. Yeah. that they can, mm -hmm. you can talk to. I'm very interested in that because that to me, I've seen this and it's very powerful. I know the group you're referring to and I know that for some reason you are known, you are personally known and then so you get approached to do a job like the mm. client this afternoon and I've heard you guys talking about, oh well she's better suited or I'm not free but she is. So mm. what you end up doing is there is a consultancy group <laughs> in inverted commas, yeah. but you do that as well as sharing the intelligence, the information and all of that. You're also really good from an employer point of view as well. Tell us a mm. bit more about that. Well, it's just people that I've either went to university with or, or I've met through um, working in health and safety in general where uh, you know I've met somebody that I've worked with and we've just stayed in contact like Fuliana and I, mm -hmm. and we just, I guess it's an informal way of helping each other out, because there's sometimes, as I said, I mean, I, with my consultancy now, I'm looking for a work-life balance, because I've been doing it for a long time, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'd like a little payback for myself these days, <laughs> and so sometimes I don't want to do a certain job, but you don't, you don't like to let your clients down either, and so yes. you'll say, well, look, I can't do it myself, but I know somebody who has the skills to do that. Yeah, and we just share work, and share work around. Or, mm. as Juliana said, sometimes somebody might not have the time, so mm. or they'll have an expertise and they're better fitted. Mm. And again, it's, yeah. I think the group that I'm with, it's, we want to provide quality for our, or a quality service for our clients. And I think to do that is by giving them the experts that are good in that area. Absolutely. That you might be a little bit short of. Just going back to the legislation and keeping up to date, is there still a degree of conflict between the states in New South Wales and <laughs> in Australia about legislation? Yes, there is. Okay. <laughs> in Australia, Victoria and Western Australia are still stretching their muscles and so forth because they kind of think they're special or they're different. But when you work in organisations, and I've worked in, I think, probably like 
top of my head, think of five organisations that I've worked for where we've worked across borders. Mm -hmm. And some of those high risk. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you really need to have a consistent approach. Mm -hmm. And what I find is, is, even with the legislation now, it's just been a little bit more picky. Is there a move to, to make it more consolidated? I think there is, but the states, I think, are just... I think there's an element of, you know, they're scared or they're unsure that, you know, some of the other states want to come in and start yeah. muscling in or, mm. you know, they, or they want to think that they're a little bit special. Mm. But that may change because, you know, the mining industry is changing in Western Australia and, and things are happening there mm. that, you know, they, they might want to so, so stay. So that triggers another question for me. In that, what you would have seen in your time, changes in industry, changes where one industry was dominant in a particular location, and so the the legislation reflected their needs, and that's changed. What do you see? For New, let's talk New South Wales. <laughs> do you see that there's a change like that coming for New South Wales? I think New South Wales is kind of a little bit of a leader in that respect, and so I don't think they'll be pushed out or muscled out. Is there one dominant industry in New South Wales at the moment? No. No. Not like there is for Western Australia? Or... No, like the mining. Yeah. 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 Oh. We won't pick on the mining people. No. <laughs> They're just a problem generally, but we won't go down that but, path. You know, that, that's <laughs> interesting though, because I think a lot of people that live in New South Wales don't realise how much mining goes on in New South Wales. And, mm. you know, Victoria and Queensland. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of mining. If um, you're talking to people that are maybe thinking of becoming health and safety or workplace health and safety person, what would you say to them? What what to look for? What to what their challenges will be? Just just a quick sort. Of, mm. I'm interested. Yeah, what do I? Know? I think it's a very challenging organisation because you're in an area sometimes where it's hard to get evidence of how you're improving things. And an example of that is. You can't measure people not having incidences. You can measure no. people that have had incidences, but you can't measure that they haven't. So sometimes value add, or if you're looking to say, you know, things have improved, you've got to look sometimes fairly closely. And so an example of that is that sometimes you've got to have pretty thick skin. And what I refer to as you, you pick your battles. Yeah. What you willing? And the other thing I do is I might pick my battles, but if I don't succeed, I don't necessarily wipe it off the list. I just wait for a more opportune time to raise it again. Yes, yes. when the weather conditions are right. Well, that <laughs> yes. Is. Yes. And that could be six months down the line. It can be a year down the line. But you just put it on the back burner and think, well, okay, I didn't win that time, but you know, I'll have my time. My day in the sun yes. will come. Yes. <laughs> Good advice. Yes. So to get qualifications, do you go? To, you have to go to university, or can mm -hmm. you do it at TAFE, or or do you know? Yeah. Well, TAFE has uh, certain courses, yeah. where, which you can do. I did four years part time mm -hmm. at Tarleton University in Newington. Ballarat has a mm -hmm. uh, safety science course. I think New South Wales Uni still has their safety science course. So there's quite a variety. So yeah. whether you're in a, in a sort of part of the city or mm. you're at in the region, you access it, you can access yeah. it. And you know, the courses you can do online. I did mine online, as I said, part-time because I was yeah. working as well. And it took me four years. Yeah. So 
getting the qualifications, being aware that in this field you've got to be thick-skinned and know how to get mm -hmm. it done, as well as that you need to be up-to-date on legislation all the time because yes. it does change. And, and I think you've got to be also fairly flexible yeah. and a good negotiator. Yes. And and a good yeah. and good, a good with people. <laughs> and, a, and a good talker. Yeah. Because you've got to talk to people. Yes. And you've got to talk to people to find out information. And and an example of that is, is um, one time when I first started with an organisation, they had multiple sites and it was an agricultural company, so it was a, a mm. country Australia. And one of the, when I first started going around and they had about over three hundred sites. So once I started going out to sites, I started asking the workers the standard question of how long they had actually worked with the company. What I discovered was that it was an ageing workforce that had, and the majority, I'd say probably at least 75% had worked with the company for over 20 years. Wow. And here I was, in my 30s, a female, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> coming into a new organisation, for me, a new organisation but a male-dominated agricultural company where they'd worked for the organisation and usually in the same location for 20 years. That in itself sets a challenge. Yes. And so when I went back to Sydney and sat in my office <laughs> and did a bit of brainstorming about, you know, how I had to deal with that, because that we talked about challenges earlier. Yes. That's a perfect example of how you've got to know your workplace, you've got to know your demographics, and then you've got to work out some strategies how you're going to deal with mm. that. Mm. Because one of the issues with that is to get their confidence and their buy-in, you have to at least show that you know what their work, what they're doing, what they're doing and what mm -hmm. their daily work life is like. And the value of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, I worked for that organisation for quite a while and it turned out to be quite an interesting organisation. Mm. And even I travelled a lot with it. And I got to the point where the guys were really, really nice and they would quite often sometimes come around to my hotel room and take me out for dinner mm -hmm. because I'd be there out in the middle of nowhere or on the cell. Yeah. Build a good relationship, yeah. in, which is made yeah. easier to mm -hmm. get things done as well. So in, in your time, do you have organisations where you feel like you've really learnt a lot? Yeah, it, it takes time. And I think, again, I mean, the agricultural industry was very, very yeah. different, very hazardous. I probably mm -hmm. had one of my worst days in my life working for that agricultural company. Nobody died, mm -hmm. but an incident occurred out in central New South Wales where a fellow was trapped, and the manager was calling me about every half an hour to 45 minutes to let me know whether he was alive or dead. Mm -hmm. And... I was sitting in my office in Sydney, and also the managers would come, as soon as my phone would ring, yes, the managers would collect around my door mm. to hear what was being said, mm. and oh my goodness. He did get out, but he was trapped for five and a half hours. Oh, that would have been very stressful. Oh, was that not just terrible? Um, oh, can you imagine? Uh, so in, in that sense, you are bearing the brunt of stress yeah. around the catastrophic things that happen rather than the day-to-day -day trips and, and falls. Is it a stressful job? Funnily enough, I never found it stressful. I mean, there were stressful days, yes, yes, yes. but I didn't necessarily find it stressful all the time. Yep. I found it very tiring yes. because in a lot of my jobs, especially in the last probably 
10 to 15 years I travelled a lot mm -hmm. and I think that can be quite wearing. It was normal for me to work 12, 14 hours a day. So that's the other thing when people are, are thinking about this as a role, they have to understand the physical commitment mm, yeah. to the role as well and that mm. there is a lot of travel because you're not ever going to be able to sit in an office and direct it from the desk. You do have oh, to get out there and do it. I, I actually don't think you can do your job right yes. and, and sit in your office. No, you can't. I mean, a, an example of that is I went up to uh, Gladstone, up in northern Queensland, and I went up, did about six hours work, and got back all in the same day. And, and then, still and got up time. and went to work and was in the office at 8.30 the yeah, next morning. The next morning, yeah. it's yeah. not so much the day. It's, yeah. it's, you've got to pick it's up and start again the next day. One of the questions that we ask all of our guests, yeah. and I'm fascinated actually in this environment to hear what you've got to say is we like to know what you see as the difference between coaching, mentoring and being an accountability partner. Oh, <laughs> jeez, that's and a you, tough one. You've done all of them. So. <laughs> um, I, so I always think yeah. that, that for a lot of the time the role that you've got now you are the accountability partner for these people who are carrying mm. out the, the safety yeah program or the, or the risk mm. assessment, whatever else it is. But I would imagine that there's opportunity for you to coach as well. Oh, definitely. And, and the mentoring sounds to yeah. me like that's what you do with your professional group. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so there, there is a difference. Yeah. One time I had a, um, a third year graduate occupational therapist come and do her um, work experience with me and that was actually that was a bit of a nightmare because there was a lot of paperwork involved because I not only had to mentor her from um, you know work perspective I did actually request from the university that I would only take third and fourth year graduates mm -hmm. because I needed people to because the other side of the coin was I wanted something out of it as well yes and so I wanted her to do a lot of task analysis for me mm. which she did over a period of time and and I found that quite challenging but she was also a really nice person and we got to know each other quite well because I didn't get to pick her, she was just, she just walked up at my office yeah. one day and uh, introduced herself and away we went. She ended up coming back in a fourth year mm -hmm. and we liked her so much that in uh, school holidays she would come and work for, for me and we would actually pay her. And now she's a, an OT for a, a large retail organisation. Mm -hmm. And she does their injury management. So and I still stay in contact with her. So, so apart from the, the straight um, consulting role and, and the, the broader management mm. role, there's lots of avenues, if people are interested in this side of things, lots of avenues that they can yeah. mm. go down that are not just the straight workplace safety management. Mm. You also have the people that you work with, the people that report to you. And, and that's mentoring again. And it's the relationships that you have with them. I've done that quite a lot. I've seen organisations where I've maybe changed sometimes how that has worked. And I think, it, touch wood, I felt it worked better after we kind of restructured it. The majority of the time, the people that I've worked with, I've remained friends with. Even people that I worked you know, 20 years ago, you know, I'm still friends today with. So through building relationships, you've been able to build the accountability partner by people in management positions, board mm. positions, and hold them accountable on the 
safety aspects of their role. You're able to mentor your peers, the people in the workplace, as well as people working for you, and you coach them and mm. to how to get there. So, and it is it is really very rare that you get all three. You mm. do get it in some management position, but in your case, across all the levels that you referred to earlier, that mm. would be very satisfying. Another good example of that was a person that I managed following an injury, mm. a workplace injury where he could not go back and do the role that he would previously been doing because of his injuries. He was rather a character and I enjoyed his company. So I actually got him to come and work with me mm -hmm. for a while and kind of have him as a little bit of an offsider. Mm -hmm. And we got to know each other quite well. And what I discovered was that um, he really enjoyed training. Mm -hmm. And because he would come along to my training sessions and he'd put the slides in and sometimes I would actually get him to do mm -hmm. different bits because mm -hmm. I was still in the industry where he had injured himself and mm -hmm. so he knew the workplace and, yeah. and so forth. Anyway, I eventually got him transferred into the uh, training section and he now is one of their lead trainers. Mm -hmm. And that was just something, and, yeah. and it was interesting because um, management was not very keen mm -hmm. on him moving over. But again, I picked my battles <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I struck them right at a good time. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and he's, and he's fabulous. He's, yeah. And he, he even said to me one day that he really felt that training was his niche mm -hmm. because he just loved it, mm -hmm. just really loved and it. And wouldn't have come to it yes. in any other way? No, yeah. no, he would have continued. He was, um, he was 42 when he had his injury. Mm -hmm. And he probably would have stayed doing the same thing for probably the rest of his life mm. if he mm. hadn't have had the injury. Yeah. And being such a character as well, mm. um, because that helped, because he was, oh, he was so funny and he was yeah. so much fun to have around. Mm. But I made him work. You know, yeah, he wasn't there just to entertain <laughs> me. <laughs> Through the mentoring and that, you help him identify mm. something he obviously is good at and likes and now becomes his career. Yeah, yeah but great. as I said, having him as a, an offsider for me worked out well because mm -hmm. he had been one of the workers. So yes. if I wasn't sure of something, I'd say, oh, yeah. what about this, this and this? He'd say, yeah. oh, okay, you do it. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got my pound of flesh out of him. It wasn't just, <laughs> oh, but it, it was an added value that he was so yeah. entertaining mm -hmm. and, and, and fun to be around. Do you find that you need that sort of, when you're doing the stroke training in an industry, does it help you to have someone who is part of that workforce or is that detrimental to the, the training? It depends. I mean, I, it, you know, again, I think you've got to know your, know your audience. Mm -hmm. uh, another example of that I give was um, I was doing risk management training because I wanted the guys to uh, develop safe working uh, procedures for the tasks they did. So I started facilitating these risk management meetings and we used to have them once a week for about three hours because we had about 100 safe working procedures we had to develop. And what I discovered, because my offsider used to come to those training sessions, and I've, I found that he was so good at it, after I had done it probably about four or five times, that I actually said that I wasn't going to go anymore mm -hmm. and that I wanted him to run it. Mm -hmm. And he was very negative about that and didn't want to do it. And I said, no, look, you know, I don't have the time. I really want you to do it. And he said, oh, but you'll be there. And I said, 
I'll be a phone call away. And they ended up running, he ended up running those sessions for about five months himself. And they did do the 100 safe, work up, uh, safe operating procedures. And he did a fabulous job. And the thing that I valued most was that there was actually nobody that was doing those safe operating procedures except the people that did them. That used right. yeah. yeah. You know, there was no management, there was nothing, mm. there wasn't even me, there was mm. just the workers themselves yeah. with a facilitator. Which makes it a true and he had, system. And yeah. which he was a worker because, in those, because he was still classified as a worker yeah. Yeah. and was still getting um, the head count from where he'd injured himself. And so that, to me, that was the value, is there was absolute, that the right. safe operating procedures were literally done from start to finish. Wasn't someone outside coming in and telling them what, yeah. how they should do their jobs? No. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we developed the template yeah. and they just had to, you know, and, if they, and a couple of times they rang me mm -hmm. and queries about which way they should go and I'd say, well, you know, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And actually I just facilitated them making the decision. When, when you go through that process and you get those people who have to use the, the guidelines to develop them, how often do they need to be reviewed? There's kind of a little bit of a rule of thumb, is that probably at least every two to three years mm -hmm. as a minimum. Also, if there's something in the process that changes, yeah. or you can sometimes have a variation, especially when you work in large organisations. How a task is done in Queensland can be a slight variation in Victoria. Now, that's not to say that, that one process is safer than the other. Mm. It's just that it can be a variation yeah. in how it's done, in one of the steps or more yeah, than one the, of the, the steps. physical activities. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to recognise that too, mm. that you, know, you can't say to Victoria, well, no, you can't do that anymore because we're going to follow the Queensland way. The guys in Victoria have got as much right. If you cannot find that there's a greater risk, then no reason. no reason. And it's unreasonable to expect them to yes. change just mm -hmm. because they've got a different way of doing it. If you could sit here today and say that looking into the future you could accomplish anything in this field, what would your choice be? Well, I've, I've said it for a long time, is that, and, and I used to actually say this in inductions, is to actually do the job so well yourselves that you do me out of a job. And I think Fulyana's probably heard me say that. Yes. And I have another little saying, and this is, you know, relates to health and safety also, is it's better to have a plan that you never have to use than have no plan at all, and then something happens and you start to panic, because when you panic, you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. So have a plan that you never have to use. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I don't think so. We've covered everything pretty yeah. well. All right, well, we thank you for your time and your expertise that you've shared with us today, Libby. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Pugliana Osborne. We've been talking with Libby Peace about workplace health and safety. And if I didn't get it right, that's just too bad. I'm old <laughs> and I remember what it used to be called. And this is Inside Exec. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I've enjoyed it.